you'd like to follow along with the sermon today, there's an outline provided in the bulletin for you. And today we are wrapping up our final week in the beginning of the book of Genesis. And this is a famous passage from the Tower of Babel. And of course, if you're talking about towers and their importance, uh, it makes me think of building Lego towers and sandcastles. See, from an early age, we like to share our accomplishments. We like to build stuff, whether it's a really cool sandcastle or a really tall Lego tower or something else that we have built. And then we want everyone to come see it. Come see what I did. Come see what I did. This has happened a lot in our house this week, just so you know. And we we build this thing, but as any child with a sibling knows, those accomplishments are very fragile. That also has happened a lot in our house this week. You see, whether whether we're building a sandcastle or a Lego tower, something or someone can come and just knock it over. And our minutes or hours or days of hard work are gone in a flash, immediately. Immediately. Our accomplishments are very fragile, it seems. And so this final portion in our study in Genesis that we're going to look at today makes us ask the question, what do we do with our accomplishments? Why are we here on earth? Is it just to see who can build the coolest tower, who can have the greatest accomplishments before they all crumble? What's the point of it all? Is life a contest to see who can live the best, who can be the most famous, who can do the coolest Stuff, or is life about something else? Is it about something more lasting than building towers? And so today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. If you would open your Bibles, Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, and we're in the 11th chapter. We'll read verses 1 through 9. Only 1 through 9, because I promised you last week no more genealogies. So the rest of chapter 11 is a genealogy. You're welcome. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let us pray. Merciful God, we give thanks for your word, that you do not leave us in the darkness, but you have spoken to us about events long ago, and you have faithfully preserved them in your word, that we can trust it, 
that it is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word that you have given us for us to hear and learn about you. And so, Lord, open our ears and our hearts and our minds today to receive your word, your truth. Speak to us, God. Correct us, encourage us, comfort us. May your word be living and active among us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, as we look at this passage, we need to be thinking about what it is that life is about and what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to accomplish? And I think our big idea for the day is that we must look to Jesus Christ for our secure identity since our towers fall, that our own actions are incapable of providing anything secure, any meaningful identity for us. We need someone else, Jesus, to provide it for us. And so today we're going to look at the desires behind the actions of the people building the city and the tower. We're going to look at God's motivation for his judgment and then finally the greatest fulfillment that God provides here. So as we look at the desires of the people of the city of Babel, what became to be known as Babel, we see three let us statements in verses 3 and 4. And so those statements are an expression of their desires. And these desires are not unique to the people of Babel. They are things that we might desire as individuals or as groups. And so we're going to take a look at these three desires. The first desire is in verse 3. The people say, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now maybe we haven't had that desire before. Let's go make bricks. In fact, it sounds kind of boring. Like, what are these people doing? They're just sitting around making bricks all day? That's really dumb, I guess. It doesn't sound impressive. It doesn't sound like they're great accomplished people, and yet that was a technological achievement in their day. Granted, it wasn't an iPhone or a nuclear reactor or anything like that, but this brick technology would be used in all future construction projects, so they had that going for them. It was important, and we see from this desire that the people of the city wanted to have a meaningful accomplishment. They wanted to do something important, something that mattered. They wanted to contribute to society in some way, to leave a lasting mark. That if you remove the brick-and-mortar particulars and you look at their desire, you see, oh yeah, I felt like that. I know people who have felt like that. People of all cultures have that desire for meaningful accomplishment. As individuals, we want to leave our mark on the world. We celebrated graduates today, and at graduation ceremonies, speakers get up and charge the graduates to go out and make a difference in the world and be the change and do this and that and save the world. They don't say, go and be useless. Go and don't change a thing. Go and stop. Just don't go. We all want to do something. There's great promise, great potential, and our graduates feel that way, or at least I assume they feel that way. They don't want to go through the rest of their life and go, man, another day of busy work. Let's get excited. That's not typically how we feel. So maybe instead of bricks, we want to go into the field of medicine, science, construction, education, business. We want to do something different. We want to make a change. But they're not just desires we can feel individually, we can feel them corporately as well. We want to be a part of a group that will change the world. We want to join together with others for a special cause, 
a world organization, a political party, maybe a pioneering business or community of businesses. We want to be part of a groundbreaking company, the cutting edge of cancer research, or a school that's the gold standard of education in our world. We want to do something meaningful. But why do we have that desire? Why do we desire to want to do something meaningful to accomplish that? Is that a noble desire, or is that a selfish desire? Do we desire meaningful accomplishment because we are worried that our life's work will be for nothing? Maybe we felt the emptiness that comes from realizing that our work hasn't changed the world. We were going to do this big thing, and everyone was going to notice and think it was awesome, and nothing happened. And we worry, am I just another paper pusher? Am I another cog in the machine of production? Am I a part of another generation that is consuming more than it contributes to society? And so our desire for meaningful accomplishment is often a way that we try and compensate for our feeling of insignificance that we actually aren't doing anything that meaningful. What are we accomplishing in our lives? So that's that first desire, the desire for meaningful accomplishment. And that feeds into the second desire. We see it in verse 4. The people say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. We'll touch on the city-building part in the third desire. So the focus here is on making a name for ourselves. See, this tower that they're going to build with their new brick-and-mortar technology would help the people of the city make a name for themselves. And so their desire is for the praise and approval of others. That it's not enough to do something important. Everybody has to know that you did something important. That's what really matters. It must bring the acclaim of your peers. This tall tower with its top reaching to the heavens would show everyone all around, whoa, those people were awesome. They did something really cool and really great. They're way better than we are. And that's exactly what they wanted. See, Genesis does not shy away from the pride of the tower builders, but we might look at it and find their hubris unappealing. That, man, that's kind of weird of them. Why would they feel that way? And yet we can have similar desires in more subtle ways. Instead of wanting to be famous for building the tallest tower in the world, maybe we just want to have a good reputation. We want to be well thought of by our community, by our family, by our co-workers, by our church. That the idea of making a name for yourself is not that different from building your reputation or in marketing terms, building your brand. Is that something we desire? But we desire it not just for ourselves, but for the groups that we are a part of. We want our family to have a good reputation to be well thought of in the community when they hear that last name or you're related to such and such, they're like, oh, instead of, oh. One of those is good for us. We want our schools to have a good reputation. We want them to be well thought of, whether it's McGuffey, Trinity, or the Bethel Preschool. We want our church to have a good reputation. We want the community to like us, to admire us, to think we're actually doing something good. But do we desire those things for the right reasons? 
Are we looking for the praise and approval for noble reasons or for selfish reasons? One way to check yourself on that is to ask, do I ever get bitter and angry when I don't get the credit for having done something? When people don't recognize the goodness that me or my group has done? Are we frustrated when we don't get the credit for our own accomplishments? When we do our good deeds, do we want them to be noticed? Do we avoid doing some things because they might make other people unhappy with us, and then they're not going to like us and we lose their approval? See, our desire for the praise and approval of others is often a sign that we want to feel important that we want to feel valuable, that people like us. Not just that we've done something important, but that we're also liked for having done something important. Those are the first two desires, that feeling for meaningful accomplishment and the approval of others. And that leads right into that third desire. See, those two desires come from a place of insecurity, and so the third desire is all about security. In verse 4, the people say... Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So if the tall tower is connected to making a name for themselves, the desire for a city is connected to their fear of being dispersed. It shows that their desire to build a city was tied to their fear of losing what they had worked for. Of losing what they had worked for. In ancient times, you built or lived in a city for security. A city was just a community that was encircled by walls. It was a form of protection from bad guys invading armies, bandits or thieves, or even wild animals. The city walls kept you safe. The city was a way of securing your accomplishment. It was the moat around your sandcastle. It kept the waves away. The people of Babel wanted to protect their tower, protect their claim to fame, their accomplishment, what gave them a great name. Now, we may not build city walls. We may have fences in our yards, but we don't have city walls. But we do value security. We password protect our bank accounts so no one will take our money. We may have a home security system, an alarm, a dog, a gun. Some way we have a home security system. Our concern for security is often rooted in our worry about losing things. We worry about losing our money, about losing our home, losing our health, losing our job, our children. Our communities create neighborhood watches to protect the community. We research safe schools, and ironically, quite different from Babel, we flee the cities for safety to the suburbs and to the rural communities. It's all in an effort to find security. But why do we desire that security? Is it a legitimate desire? Is it a selfish one? See, often this desire is rooted in a crippling fear that at any moment, all that we have worked for can come crumbling down. As impressive as the Tower of Babel was, it was no different than a sandcastle or a Lego tower. All it would take is a good push, and it would come down. 
All it would take was one sibling of some kind or a sibling's army to knock that thing down and then everything was for naught. If the significance and value of our lives is rooted in what we have done, then it is by its very nature fragile and changeable. And so we could be in constant fear of losing all that we've worked for. You see, when we do something important and we make a name for ourselves, immediately we become fearful that everything we've done will be gone. We go from pride to worry about losing what we are proud of. And so the proud boasting of the people of Babel masks their deep insecurity about their own value and worth. And the second second half of the passage shows us God's judgment on them. That their fears about losing what they had worked for came true. See, verses 1 through 4 were completely focused on the people. And verses 5 through 9 shift the focus entirely to God. We see God evaluate the people and then act on the people. And both his evaluation and his action are like double-sided coins. They seem completely opposite, as heads is opposite from tails, and yet they work together to give a full picture. So looking at God's evaluation, on the one hand, on the one side of the coin, in verse 5, we find a very humorous remark about the Tower of Babel. In verse 4, the people said, we wanted to build a tower with its top to the heavens. Not just tall, but like to the heavens. And yet in verse 5, we read this, because God has a sense of humor. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. God had to come down to even see it. It's like, now wait, where is that? Oh, that thing. That's what, oh, okay. That's what you built? He had to come down to see their great accomplishment. So on the one hand, you can tell God thinks the tower is puny. It's pathetic. It's not a great accomplishment at all. And yet, flip that coin over in verse 6. And God is not laughing. He says this, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. God is taking their actions very seriously, and that though the tower may be puny, the implications of the puny tower are very big. He can only see them doing more and more of the same self-glorifying actions unless he thwarts the whole project. This is how God views our sinful attempts to make a name for ourselves. He looks at our greatest accomplishments and goes, Huh, call me back when you make a galaxy, please. That's what he does to our accomplishments. But those puny actions have big implications. That when our hearts are looking for fame, recognition, and identity apart from God, he must judge those things. He must stop those things because they end in ruin. And so our passage shows us how God acts. It shows his judgment on the people of Babel. In verse 7, he says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. Now our first inclination here might be to say, Well, that's odd, God. You gave everyone different languages. Why didn't you just, like, knock the tower over? I mean, that's what any right sibling would do, is you just knock the tower over. 
God needed to do something different. That wouldn't stop the root of the problem. See, to understand God's judgment, it is again like a coin with two sides that seem opposite. We see it is a merciful judgment. On the one side, it was judgment. The fears of the people come true. Twice we read that God dispersed the people over the face of all the earth. That's the exact fear they had in verse 4. We don't want to be dispersed over the face of all the earth. And God's like, yeah, you, you just were. You're gone. You're dispersed. They lost everything they had worked for. And all that is left is a partially built city and tower. It is left vacant. A testament to what humanity can do. Half-finished stuff. And he calls the city Babel, meaning confusion, because they were confused. So it is a judgment, and yet on the other side, it is merciful. By judging them in this way, God is actually helping them obey him. The original command to Adam and Eve was this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That instead of remaining settled, they were to go out into all creation and settle and populate the earth. And setting up shop around one set of city walls would be like, we're awesome, is not part of the commands. So this punishment here creates a diversity of nations with these different languages. And we saw that last week in chapter 10 with all the different nations listed. And it's incredibly important that chapter 10 came first. You see, if all the nations were listed immediately after this passage, we might think that diversity, that multiculturalism is a result of sin, that it is bad, that everyone should be the same, and yet God is showing it is actually a good thing, that diversity is not a bad thing, that he wants us to spread throughout the world and be different. And so this punishment for Sin is actually used for good, and now everyone has to depend on God even more. The most interesting thing this week when I was studying the passage, it's like, oh, I've heard of the Tower of Babel before. The most interesting thing I found was that the city of Babel is mentioned more than the tower. You always hear of the Tower of Babel and never the city of Babel, and yet the word city is used more than tower. And it got me thinking that security must be the problem here. Not so much the name as the security, that you needed a city, especially on an open plain, as it says in verse 1, that Shinar was an open plain, which is the perfect place to build a tower. If you've ever gone to the beach, you find the flat spot on the beach. You don't build it on the slope. That's a bad idea. So you need a nice flat spot on the beach to build your tower. But a flat spot in the ancient world was not a good advantage in wartime. You were wide open, easily attacked. There was no natural elevation to protect you. And so now the people have to leave the security of these city walls out on this plain and fend for themselves. The dispersed people had to depend on God. That's often how God disciplines us. He takes away those things that we depend on for security so that we trust in him more. He takes away what makes us feel proud in and of ourselves so we must depend on him for our identity and security. 
And it always feels like judgment in the moment. It always feels like, God, why are you taking this away from me? And yet, as the years go by, we start to see he needed me to trust in him. He was moving me towards greater dependence in him. It leads us towards greater faith in God as opposed to faith and pride in ourselves. And if anyone can teach us about faith, it is the man we meet in chapter 12, and that is Abraham. See, there's an intentional contrast between the proud people of Babel in chapter 11 and the humble man of faith, Abraham, in chapter 12. The people of Babel figured out a new technology of bricks. They were full of potential. They wanted to do something great and make a name for themselves. And then in chapter 12, we meet Abraham, who is old. He's old, and he's married to a woman who is barren. And God tells him, I will make of you a great nation. He's like, I have no children. She's old. I'm old. How's this going to work? Yet God makes a promise to the man who has no promise. Because he is the one who will trust that God alone can accomplish it. Because God says in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The Tower of Babel, the people there wanted to make a name for themselves. And yet God takes this humble man with no hope and says, I am going to make your name great. He makes the promise to him. God knew Abraham couldn't trust in himself. Abraham knew he couldn't trust in himself. And so Abraham was going to be a blessing to others. And we see that most clearly through Abraham's greatest descendant, Jesus Christ. You see, sinners like us try to ascend to heaven by showing God and the world how great we are. And yet Jesus descended from heaven to save us. He came in the name of the Lord to bless us with the things we most desire. We want security, and Jesus gives us the ultimate security by forgiving us of our sins. He died for us so that we might know that he loves us no matter what. And since our salvation is based on what he has done and not the towers we build up of our goodness, we know it's not going to come crumbling down. It is finished. It is secure. We have ultimate security in Christ. But he doesn't just give us that. He gives us a name. He gives us a reputation we desire by bringing us into the family of God. That we are adopted as God's children so that we become children of the King. That when we are baptized, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name of God is placed on us so that we know, so that everyone else knows, so that God knows we belong to Him. That's who we are. That is our value. That is our identity. That does not change. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us the opportunity for meaningful accomplishments. And he does this by including us in his kingdom work. Jesus commands us to go and share the good news with all people, to love one another, to serve the poor and the needy. And so instead of doing great things for our own name, we do great things for the greatest name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. 
Instead of worrying about our own reputation, we know it is secure in Jesus and we serve for the glory of God. We serve hoping that when the nations are gathered again, instead of dispersed, when they're gathered around the table, the table that our table foreshadows, there will be many people from all nations who know that salvation. Many family members coming together knowing we also are children of God. See, the great error of the people of Babel was that they were confused. It's what Babel means, confusion. They tried to do it all for themselves. They tried to earn everything themselves for their own glory. But it is only as we see we are unworthy of glory and only God is that we begin to see he can give us the great name. He can give us the great security and we can serve him who is worthy of being served. And so let us work for the kingdom, knowing we are adopted children in the family of God, knowing that we are secure in our salvation. And until he comes again, let us spread the good news of the king. Let us disperse that good news to all nations, to those around us here, that many will come, many will believe, and find security in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we give thanks that you're a good God, that you're a good and loving God, and that you love us, little old us, sinful old us, that you care about us. Lord, help us to know that. Help us to not look for our own glory, for our own name. Help us to throw aside any of those attempts at pride, any of those attempts at self-glory. May we be humble like Abraham. And trust that you and you alone can do it, far greater than we could ever hope. Lord, fill us with that security and that sense of value so that we can join in your great kingdom work, your eternal work that is lasting, that will never fall, that will never be shaken. Let us share the good news of salvation. Salvation in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It is in his mighty name we pray. Amen.